Presented by Communications by Design and the CBD team of instructional coaches, this is Transforming Learning. Schools exist to promote the long-term flourishing. In addition to knowledge, what are the skills or the habits of mind? It's bigger than that. It's much more about preparing uh, these human beings to go out into the world and to, uh, to be successful. So. Welcome back, Transforming Learning listeners. We hope that you had a great summer and that your school year is off to a fantastic start. This is Pete Grostick. I'm here with Zach Ripley. And Zach, can you tell our listeners what they can look forward to on Season 2 of the Transforming Learning Podcast? Absolutely. So trying to continue with some of the work we were doing last year and capturing teachers' ideas and the great things happening in schools, uh, one of the things we're going to try to do this year is capture that in the context of a specific theme. So we've been spending some time here at Communications by Design working through how skills integrate with education in various different capacities. We're trying to develop some online courses and we're trying to build these ideas into other things that we're producing. And so along that lines, our goal with the podcast this year will be to demonstrate or represent or capture content and ideas from teachers, interviews, stories, and other things that represent how these skills, as we talk so much about modern skills and 21st century skills and those kinds of things, What does that look like in teaching and learning, and how do we grow those things in students? And we'll be publishing on about a monthly basis, um, really trying to capture quality content, but uh, making sure that we keep some kind of regularity for you as well. So along those lines, Pete, this first episode that we're going to release is a conversation capturing some of that. Tell us more about it. Yeah, I think that this episode is a good intro into our theme, Zach, about 21st century skills and think you know things like communication, collaboration, critical thinking. Over the summer, I was able to get together with three of our most popular guests: Dave Stewart Jr., who teaches in Cedar Springs; Luke Wilcox, teacher at Kentwood Public Schools; and Tracy Hordisky, who is now a, an assistant principal in Hudsonville. And we were able to kind of wrestle with the question: What is the purpose of K-12 education? So we really hope you enjoy this episode to kick off our season two. Welcome back to the Transforming Learning Podcast. This is Pete Grostick, and I'm excited to be joined by three of my favorite people for a roundtable discussion. So let me go ahead and introduce them. We have Luke Wilcox. How are you doing, Luke? Doing great. Thanks, Pete. Tracy Hordisky. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Pete. And Dave Stewart, Jr. Hi, Dave. Hi, Pete. Thank you all for joining us today. I'd like to start by posing kind of a high-level question and just see where it goes. So kind of the question of the day is what is the purpose of K-12 education? Luke, why don't we start with you? What do you think? All right, excellent. I'm glad I got to uh, speak before David did it here. Um, actually, I was, I was doing some uh, reflective thinking about this question, and I actually recalled uh, an assignment that I had to do when I was in college. I was in teacher prep school, and it was that. I mean, the assignment was, what's the purpose of K-12 education? And I remember doing a ton of research, and John Dewey, and what's the purpose of education and public education? And I remember coming up with a, a, a lot of different reasons. You know, we want to um, promote curiosity in students so that they can figure out what they want to do in their life, so that we can uh, develop their people skills so that when they go out into the world, they, they know how to interact with the world. Um, obviously, you know, content is, is part of it. I'm a high school teacher, and uh, we definitely care about our content. We want our students to, to learn the mathematics that's in our, in our courses. Um, but much more than that, I remember in this paper, it wasn't really just about uh, the content. It was about a lot more than that. And... Uh, 
then when I found myself in the classroom after I you know, graduated, uh, it seemed to me that it, it, uh, it got a totally different feel in the school than what I got when I was thinking about this theoretically before I started teaching. And um, When I got into school, it seemed to me that it was, it was about content. You know, all of the professional development we had, um, aligning standards, curriculum maps. Uh, if you were to look at the work that we were doing as teachers, you would say that the purpose of education is, uh, is content. It's for students to leave high school knowing this, 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 and this. And uh, so that was a little bit of a disconnect for me. And um, I sort of assimilated into that culture. And that, that was who I was as, a, as an early teacher. Was, um, I, was, uh, I was, did my best to be a great math teacher so that students left my classroom and they knew algebra or geometry. Um, but, but over the course of 18 years, I've definitely changed some of my thinking on that. And uh, while I still think the content is, is, is valuable and that students need that, uh, it's much more, uh, it's bigger than that. It's much more about preparing uh, these human beings to go out into the world and to, uh, to be successful. So, you know, I think it's, it's just much larger than content. Content is not king when, we talk, when we're talking about purpose of education. Yeah, Luke, I, I agree with that. Um, I remember when I first started to really engage with the conversations around teaching beyond the classroom, English teachers were so obsessed with, like, making kids lifelong readers. And this was something that, obviously, I wanted to but then I started to notice students who were really into the reading thing, but were kind of floundering in some really basic areas of life. Like they weren't doing any of their work in other classes or anything. Or all, all they were doing is reading. I just started to see that, you know, from a, from a big scale, viewing the purpose of my work as a, as a teacher, as creating lifelong learners, was it was um, unsatisfying because there's a possibility of doing that and still not actually helping a an individual to flourish long term, and I think that that's that's a phrase I come back to again and again. That schools exist to promote the long term flourishing of young people because um, you know that term flourishing is wide enough to encapsulate the many different ways that there are to uh, make a contribution to society, uh, to be engaged, to experience positive emotion, supportive relationships. It's just kind of a nice big category that I, that I find is unifying for teachers all across the content areas and the grade levels. And, and so long-term flourishing would be my short answer to Pete's question. Yeah. So I can, will then add on today's thinking. So when thinking about that idea of long-term flourishing, uh, some of the work that we've been engaging in right now is trying to craft the graduate profile in a sense, what are the, the, in addition to knowledge, but what are the skills or the habits of mind, dispositions, whatever you want to call them, um, that are equally as important as the content that Luke was also speaking to? And with, with that thinking in mind, posing that question to all stakeholders in the learning community, so the, you know, obviously from the students, the staff, the parents, support staff, uh, business leaders, any type of community member, um, what is it that we say, what do we believe really matters? And I think having everyone have some ownership and some say in what that should be uh, so that together you're creating clarity and working towards the same outcomes is important. Um, which takes me then back to, it's a bit, it's interesting uh, that the, even looking at the etymology or the, like the Latin root of the word education, it has a couple of different meanings, educare and educare. One meaning to uh, draw out, to really lead out the, the learning and the learner, and the other to really pass down traditionally what it is we want them to know. And our systems are actually 
um, well, also the word in itself is almost a paradox, and, and we lived in that paradox so often, which is why this is a, an important question. Yeah. And I think trying to find a balance between those um, is kind of the sweet spot, and that there are things that are valuable to be handed down, and in turn, as far as the work of learning and engaging learners, um, we, we need to draw them into the learning. And so mm -hmm. traditionally, I think it's been handed down, which is why sometimes it, it seems that in traditional education, they can oftentimes seem not very engaging. Whereas the engaging way to do that is to uh, take a step back and how do we create the conditions for actual learning experiences to take place with a community of learners mm -hmm. that are working together toward that shared purpose or vision for that long-term flourishing, as they would call it, and, uh, or those those outcomes that were defined by a learning community, which could be a little bit different in each so I, uh, just a thought, uh, you know, Tracy was talking about this uh, profile of a graduate and yeah. getting all of the stakeholders involved. So let's talk to kids and let's talk to parents and let's talk to the teachers. And uh, I think when you when you listen to all of those stakeholders, you're you're not necessarily hearing what the culture is within the schools currently. And so that that makes me wonder who, who's creating the culture that's within the schools. Well, why is it that we value content? Why is it that we value um, test scores? And when, when we talk to the people who are involved in this whole process, aren't saying those things. And, and then, you know, sort of the next question is how do we challenge that? How do we get, how do we get more towards like what you're hearing from your stakeholders? Well, I think it's moving from that idea. So like we say, we value and believe these um, non-content focused aspects of learning. And, and I feel like the big shift as far as thinking about a profile of a graduate is that we want to be explicit about developing those skills and ways of thinking as opposed to that idea that it, well, like the opposite being tacit, I guess, where it's just that it's implied that it's happening, that I'm developing these, these ways of thinking or behaving. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. So back to your question, Pete, about just, you know, we, we talk about what it should be and we all say these things really matter, but is that what really is happening? And I think, again, it's just we have to clarify and name those things and understand how it is that we align our words and actions to what we say matters most because I think oftentimes we're uh, again we're balancing so many different things that if we're because if we're not intentional about ensuring those outcomes because there are specific things that we can say and do every day to ensure those outcomes that um, if we don't have clarity about what it is that we have to be intentional about then we inadvertently are creating the conditions for the what is, if you want to describe But on that, on that note, Dave mentioned leadership as a, as a kind of a force here to, to push further. I'd like to zoom out even further and talk at the policy level a little bit here and, and use an interesting study that I've been knee deep in to maybe guide our thinking. So just, and if we don't like it, then we'll, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> but this guy, Dick Carpenter, looked at presidential addresses that talk about or mention education all the way back to George Washington. So these are State of the Unions or inauguration addresses. And he, this is a qualitative study, so he, he took that content and he basically themed it. What he found were four themes. So you've got, according to him, self-realization. Okay, this is, you know, the idea of mm -hmm. you know, this personal, personal fulfillment kind of thing. Human relationship, we sometimes call that you know, social learning, right? Economic efficiency. This is that we're preparing for the workforce and civic responsibility. And you won't be shocked by this, but early on, 
the predominant message was that school, and this is K-12, right? School is about civic responsibility. We're creating a democracy here. Let's teach everybody how to be civic-minded and their duty there. And somewhere in the mid-20th century, it swung incredibly over to economic efficiency. So you've got the last several presidents almost entirely talking about K-12 as preparation for the workforce. And very little with human relationships and self-realization. So what do we think about that? Dave, what do you That's think? not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so when I talk about long-term flourishing, I'm, I'm referencing a, a construct created by Marty Seligman, who was the president of the American Psychological Association um, like around the turn of the century, the turn of the most recent century. And uh, Seligman basically studied human, human well-being, and all of his work is about what is it that comprises of a well-lived life or a good life. And he came up with this PERMA framework. So people who experience PERMA, these five, as an acronym, um, most frequently they tend, to, they tend to indicate the highest levels of self-reported well-being. So positive emotion is one. Um, engagement is the next. So engagement is just anytime that we get lost in something that we find compelling or intriguing or challenging. It can happen in all different types of things. Exercise, intellectual uh, things, conversations, engineers solving a puzzle. So engagement and then relationships is a part of it. And that's what depresses me about what you just said is um, woe to us if we create the world's best workforce that goes home to a broken, dead place where they can't relate to their spouse or um, relate to their children. Like that, that's a one generation society. That's all you're going to get. One generation of success and then you'll just see diminishing returns because the children will not be able to be educated to the point where they can achieve economic efficiency. So the, the supportive relationships is, is the R in PERMA. Meaning, that's the M. People like to be engaged with things that have a sense of meaning to them. So, and this is not always just at work. This is in your personal life. This is in a hobby. Um, and the final is achievement. And what I love about Seligman's framework is that it, it really comprises a lot of the things that we try to do in schools. I mean, all these things, um, these four things that you talked about from the Dick Carpenter, did mm -hmm. you um, they all would contribute to a life characterized by PERMA. But yeah, that takes, like Tracy was talking about, such a counter policy approach to running a school to aim at that. You really have to just listen to the stakeholders because the parents want this, right? Um, I want this for my children. I don't, I don't just want them to have some good test score on something created at, at the state capitol. Um, I want my kids to go on and experience PERMA. And a lot of parents and even uh, community leaders, all the, all the different stakeholders, students, they want PERMA. They, they want these things, right, in different, in different ratios, but this is what they want. Mm -hmm. So I think sort of along those lines, you know, Dave talked about this PERMA framework, and when you went through all, all five of those, I didn't hear anything about, like, learning all of the content, you know, learning all the math and learning all the geography. Certainly the learning, though, could contribute to some of those PERMA things. You know, you talked about, you know, achievement and engagement and uh, building relationships. Well, learning is a great avenue to achieve some of those things, right? right? If you want achievement or engagement, learning certainly should be a part of that, right? right. So I, I think the issue we're having here is about, like, what is the intended goal? Is the intended goal to learn, and, and is it about content, or is it about the, these PERMA things? Is it about engagement? And if we made it about engagement, we, we, we went after long-term flourishing. We went after these five things that Dave talked about with PERMA. One of, the, one of the nice side effects of that is that learning occurs, yeah. right? 
But it's not that like we go after this thing specifically for the test score. It's not specifically about all this content that we're going to learn. It's about long-term flourishing, positive side effect, students learn stuff. So maybe it's just about what, what we have as our explicit goals. And that goes back to some of what Dave was saying about leadership. You know, what, 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 is, what are all the messages that we're getting as teachers about what matters? And if we're getting messages about what matters from policymakers and administrators and the newspapers that are running articles about our schools, then, then we're going we're gonna to start to shoot towards those things. And maybe that's the wrong thing to be shooting towards. So the, the aim is, are those things that we, our why, our purpose, why we're there. And those, those sometimes not as tangible um, skills that can be learned or ways of thinking. And the outcome can be many things like test scores, like you know, achievement. Mm -hmm. um, or the, the learning of the content through those those processes. But it's usually the, when I think, well, back to your Carpenter study, that idea of self-realization, human relationships, what I, I right away was thinking about Maslow's hierarchy, mm -hmm. and really the idea that, again, we're human relationship is key to us actually learning. Mm. And if we're prioritizing, um, content over helping people know how to have relationships or how to engage with each other meaningfully. So in that, because I'm going to think about as we're developing and surveying um, about our profile right now, one of the pieces that comes out over and over and over again, no matter which group you're, you're looking at, is communication. And with communication, obviously, like that, that is, um, I think oftentimes we assume that Students should just know how to do that, or that we as adults just know how to do that well. And um, that's often a missing piece mm -hmm. to actually engaging kids in meaningful, or you know, that idea of going back to Burma. We think about the relationships and the meaning and the positive emotion and the engagement, all that can happen when kids are engaged and really listening to seek understanding from one another and being able to respond meaningfully mm -hmm. to one another. Um, that that's one of those high leverage I guess if you want to call it a strategy for helping them learn the content is through discourse, but, but it's also that skill that needs to be developed. So that's where this integration comes in of yeah. content and skill development. Yeah. I, it reminds me of like some of the great coaches in sports will tell you that like John Wooden, for example, he calls himself a teacher, even when he was like 90. So I, I, I spent my career as a teacher. And it's like, it just so happens that I teach basketball, you know, but what these, what these people are really interested in is all the incredible fruit, the long-term flourishing fruit, basically that comes out of having to master basketball and having to compete in basketball. And I think that that's kind of something that all the great teachers mm. in the classrooms realize too, is like, yeah, I happen to teach math. I, I happen to teach, you know, third grade. And what they realize is that you actually are going to teach your best life lessons. Your most sticking, like, communication breakthroughs are going to come when, when you're teaching communication in the context of, like, okay, this is super hard to learn what we're going to learn, but we're just going to go for it, right? And it could be a project-based unit, or it could be just trying to do well on the AP exam in world history. It could be, um, you know, just trying to read a bunch of books as a class of fourth graders. It really could be anything. I think the, the thing is just, mm -hmm. you, take, you take that really high goal that we've been talking about, and you make it something related to academics. I mean, that is the job. Like I think, the like Tracy was talking about, there is this part of education that is the handing down, right? And that's a, a responsibility, 
Like a lot of people spent their whole lives giving us statistics, right? So like it's not a small thing for Luke to give his students what they've learned and to give them a chance to take that as a as a tool in their life. Um, but but like that's just the that's just like the context. That's just the the classroom within which you can learn those really big, high leverage skills, dispositions, mindsets, thinking skills, communication abilities that um, are like the truly transferable stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The truly transferable skills that undergird, I think, probably this uh, grad profile that you're working on or the flourishing life. So I'm just going to throw another idea out that Dave, you were talking about. Um, the need for, for economic success, and, and we're developing students so that they can go out and they can earn a living because we know that that, that matters for, for their long-term flourishing. Because if they don't have that, that puts them at risk of, of not being able to attain this long-term flourishing. And so in that thinking, and, and in the supported by all of these presidential uh, claims about the purpose of education, is that school is about individuals, individuals finding their own success. And when you think about America as a country relative to other countries, we certainly value individuals and individual rights. That's part of what our country is built on, is that uh, you, know, you as an individual can go out and you can work your way and you can become successful. And so I think that we have a society of people that care about themselves as individuals and their own individual success and maybe care less about uh, the community, about the group, about the population. And so if we have this focus on individual rights, then you know, culturally everything translates down into the schools. And so we have a school that also values that. Hmm. And so maybe the, the challenge that's, that, that we're putting out there, that, that Pete was putting out there, is could we change, could we challenge the culture of uh, individualism mm-hmm. towards get, uh, growing people, hum, young human beings, who uh, care more about the community than they do about themselves? And how would that change what education looks like? Mm-hmm. So this, I might not be quoting this exactly right, but Vygotsky uh, talks about how we discover ourselves through others. So the idea that we can even individualize things and and find our own success without mm-hmm. the community is um, fallacy. Yeah. Can we linger? Yeah, let's linger on Luke's point of uh, individualism for a moment. I've um, been trying to look for the right time to bring this in. So maybe this is it. Maybe it isn't. But we ha- we now have mechanisms technology specifically that we haven't had in the past, which makes um, receding into your own individual world more easy than ever, right? Mm -hmm. We can disconnect, that's what I'm trying to say. We can disconnect from others whenever we want to, right? Mm -hmm. And have you ever read any of Steven Pinker's work, Angels of Our Better Nature or um, Enlightenment Now? Okay, so so Pinker is this data guy, you'd love him. Basically, his, his whole thesis is we are in a better spot worldwide today in 2019 than ever before, right? Like, this is the best time to have ever lived. You look at life expectancy, literacy, poverty worldwide, everything, right? Global GDP. Except in the past few years when it comes to depression, mental illness, suicide, drug addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I'm going to connect some dots here. So linking to, to Baker's work, Johan... Johan Hari wrote the book, uh, Lost Connections. Johan Hari has had, he's a journalist, but he's had a, a history of, of mental illness in his family and himself, and set out on this mission to try to figure it out, because he got put on medication and it worked for a while, didn't work after that. This is all too common for people. There's about a 35% success rate with, with depression medication. 
what you found was there's there's like nine factors that contribute to to kind of this healing of some of these mental illnesses and only three or four of them are pharmaceutical in nature and one of the biggest ones is human connection and you all mentioned relationships earlier right i can think of no better purpose of a school than to affect uh, something that will literally kill thousands of people every year we're talking about mental illness here right and to uh, positively affect that mm -hmm. statistic right mm -hmm. and if we know and i don't think we actually know i'm air quoting here audience i don't think we actually know what johan hardy's thesis is right but that, that's what his thesis is it's like hey if we're more connected th these things will subside a little bit like one of the reasons we get depressed is we don't have people to talk to i mean evolutionarily that's just you couldn't live that way i mean outside of buddhist monks it's just not possible right and even then you could with them you could say they have some sort of connection that they're tapping into so so anyway what do you think of that kind of thesis and then the role of schools to play mm -hmm. in developing relationships in order to to get at the one area that we are, are actually seeing diminishment diminishment in of, of all the areas that you could you could analyze so i'm going to just put it in the context of my math classroom yeah uh when i started out as a teacher very traditional math teacher i would lecture at the front of the room kids would sit there quietly in the rows then I'd give them some practice problems, they'd work on the practice problems. I might go in and interact with two or three kids while they're working on the practice problems, but mostly a silent classroom. And uh, I, I could produce some outcomes that way. I'm you know, a pretty, pretty good presenter, and I help kids well, and I tell them the right things to think about. Uh, but over my career, my instruction has, has transformed to be much, more, much less of me talking and much more of students talking to students. And so now a typical lesson, you know, there'll be some sort of experience that the students are going to work together in pairs or groups of three or groups of four, and they have to do something and talk to each other about it. And this is where that relationship building stuff happens. And, and we even do intentional things to grow relationships within the classroom. And so they go through that experience. And at some point, you know, we come back together as a whole group. And I'm going to um, be able to utilize some of my content knowledge to be able to put together the, the pieces for them on that experience that they just had. And the outcome is that uh, they've learned something, right? And not only they've learned something, but they now can connect it to an experience. And they had to communicate about that experience with another human being. And they, they essentially had to like create that idea with another human being. And that's all, all to say that like this model where students are talking to students has uh, the same outcome, learning-wise, content-wise, or maybe better outcomes than the, than the traditional model. But the added bonus here is this idea that Pete's getting at where students are learning how to stay connected, how to be connected with other human beings. They're learning how to interact. They're learning how to communicate their ideas to somebody else. And uh, so, so that's like, what, what is the goal? Is the goal the human interaction, or is the goal the content that they learn? Or is it both of those things? Mm -hmm. I, I would advocate for both. And one of the things I think that's overlooked, because we brought up communication as well, like that being um, something that through the profile that, that comes to light every time. But the ability to communicate is often interpreted as that I can convey my message to you, um, whether it's mm -hmm. orally or written, um, or body language, however we want to interpret that idea of communication, but so much of communication hinges on our ability to listen well and to really seek understanding from someone else's point of view and having tools that enable us to be able to do that. We can actually learn how to listen so that we can better communicate with each other because when you talk about that idea of connection um, or relationship from um, the gentleman, was it Johan? Johan you know, are you talking about um, that, that need for, we're, we're hardwired to connect. Um, 
in that what do we mean when we say relationship or connection? Because people are more, you know, connected, air quotes again, than ever through social media and other avenues and more depressed than ever um, because is that really true connection? What do we mean when we say that? And so I think oftentimes we have to be mindful of the fact that um, that connection is, of course, rooted in communication, but communication, most importantly, means that we are listening to each other. Pop-up debates is a thing that I know you do in your classroom. Sure. So when you think about that decision to use that as an instructional tool, what, yeah. what is the reason? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's all these levels of reasons. The pop-up debate format is very appealing to students. It increases motivation. Um, the uh, the pop-up debate format allows me to, and this is just a simple whole class discussion or debate protocol. Um, it allows me to kind of coach them towards improving live in the moment, giving them feedback on communication. Um, it gives a really relevant context to practice. Like if I do a mini lesson on, hey, this is how you guys should think about speech delivery. I can, I can then cut them loose on a pop-up debate and now they can practice that skill in real time. Obviously some students are highly challenged by the, um, and, and engaged by the, just the intellectual part of it. Some kids like the, the competitive nature of it where they're trying to you know, best their buddy in a verbal duel of ideas and then some kids are just really engaged by the fact that it's terrifying and i talk them through that like working through the anxiety around standing up in front of your peers so it's just it's one of those those protocols that allows you to work on all these different skills and at the same time you're discussing typically content you know most most of my public debate prompts are about the class that we're in. so you're getting to see as a teacher you're getting some data about okay you guys really don't understand this flow at all or we're, we're, we're making a lot of gains here in terms of just comprehension of the issues at hand with whatever the question. Like today, we debated um, what are the causes of extreme poverty, what are the best solutions to extreme poverty, and should Americans care about extreme poverty since extreme poverty doesn't afflict Americans, really. Extreme poverty is making one or two dollars a day. Um, and, and it was awesome, right? Like total whole class of um, 30 kids, ninth graders, just all in because it was kind of the, the culmination of a couple of days of research. Um, and, and so that's why I use it. I think it practices a lot of the things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But does it produce test scores? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, so, well, yeah. Tests really differ in quality, right? The state of Michigan tests Mastery of World History with eight multiple choice questions two years after they have my class. So that's not the type of test that's ever gonna produce anything meaningful in a school. That's, that's terrible. Um, but I, I'm sure that the, if, if they were to get a question on the current issue in world history of extreme poverty in two years, this would likely increase their retention of maybe something that could help answer it. So I do think it helps. It's like you're talking about. It's just like you said, Lou. The, the thing is that collaborative experiences do increase achievement on tests, most tests, right? On the super low quality ones like I just described, maybe not as much, but you know, it definitely doesn't hurt. But on these really high quality assessments, um, like you're describing in AP statistics, it's you're gonna it's it's a win win scenario, the best kind of thing. Well I you you are also through that process of engaging in a debate, you're having to use the knowledge, so it might be more surface level understanding to to think at a deep level. Because if I'm gonna if there are these questions posed to me and I'm using that content knowledge at I'm just gonna, some of the, the 
thinking processes you're engaging in is I'm going to have to synthesize some of this information. I'm going to have to evaluate which, which is most critical for my argument. I'm going to have to justify my argument with evidence and reasoning. And those are all those high level mm-hmm. or deeper learning skills that are going to, like you said, they're going to be there more long term. And then I'm actually learning how to think well. So if I'm uh, at a standardized test there, oftentimes I can think well, I can do well on the standardized test, which is why it brings us back to the idea that uh, while on the circuit, does, it doesn't seem like an investment of uh, helping kids develop social skills or emotional skills uh, to be able to collaborate well, that doesn't seem like it is an actual investment, which in, in the long run actually is because I'm learning how to think into these deeper ways that result in my ability to I can take that standardized test. So, so it's about developing thinking. Like the public de- debates are about developing thinking, which turns out pr- does produce test scores if you develop yeah. thinkers. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to develop uh, students that know a bunch of stuff, we're trying to develop students that know how to think. Mm-hmm. Dave, thank you so much. Where can people connect with you, online or, or elsewhere? I think the easiest place would be DaveStewartJr.com. S D U A R T. Very important. <laughs> Tracy, thank you, and, and where can people follow up with thank you? Thank you, Pete and David Luke. Um, Twitter is probably the easiest place, at Tracy Wardisky, T-R-A-C-Y-H-O-R-O-D-Y-S-K-I. And Luke, thank you so much, and where can people find you? Thank you, Pete. Uh, you can find me at www.lukewilcox.org, or if you're interested in statistics education, at statsmedic.com. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. That might be the end of the episode, but our team of instructional coaches never stops helping educators. Visit us at cbdconsulting.com slash elevateedu to learn more about how we can support you in your efforts to elevate teaching and learning.